Hi, I'm Jason. I'm John. And I'm Marquis. And this is Just, Just Getting, Getting By. A free talk forum about the creative process and the wounds that hold us back from achieving our goals. Each week, building a roadmap through dialogue with working and struggling artists about how to better manifest a successful show business career. Hey everyone, it's Jason here. This week we spoke with Sean Patrick Murray. I knew Sean when he was a freshman at NYU. We had every single theater training class together for that entire year. I also knew Sean as a bona fide actor and performer, so when I heard that he'd developed and produced an unscripted series called West Side that had been distributed by Netflix, I jumped for joy. He affirmed to those of us who think we are only one type of artist that limiting beliefs are not ingredients in success. Sean walks us through the six-year creation process from cruise ship to a billboard in Times Square. He opened up about how the aftermath of his project transformed the type of work he's generating now. For those listeners who love an excuse to have a drink, feel free to take a sip of your beverage anytime Sean mentions having a baby. We did not need to dive into that topic to realize what's bubbling in his unconscious. This is our interview with the compelling Sean Patrick Murray. Well, I think this is going to be pretty freestyle. We've got some questions to pull from, but uh, for the most part, yeah. I guess I just want to know, it's been 10 years since I've seen you. What's been going on? Jesus, 10 years. Uh-huh. Oh, are we already recording? Yeah. yeah, I have it recording, so feel free to just dive in. Okay. Like, I always like to catch like a little bit of like the banter. Yeah. Like, and, <laughs> Glad uh, I didn't go into some of the stories I had of my... Um, 10 years, jeez. So I guess, like, the short story of if you were going to do, like, a quibby short-form content version of my story in the past 10 years, it would be I, before I even knew what producing was while I was at NYU and accredited to, I think, the Experimental Theater Wing at Tisch School of the Arts, mm-hmm. um, was who I think they were so ahead of their time of, like, really preparing the artist to create their own brand and identity and work. Um, and at the time, I was just kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing. I remember Jonathan's class was always, you know, nobody knew how to sing or play an instrument, and so he would lock us in a room and say, you have an hour to get to know the piano. I want you to come back and and have a song to share. And we'd be like, okay. And so I'd come back and, like, literally play with chopstick fingers, but would have a song to share. And I think that was really the birth of having, like, a voice and self-confidence. Threw you in the deep end. Threw me in, yeah, the far, far deep end. Um, but it was kind of like that moment of whether I knew it or not of, oh, you know, there's so much inside that as once you are pushed to a limit and actually have to do something, if you physically lock yourself in the room and, and give yourself responsibilities and deadlines, like shit gets done. And, uh, but I still didn't really have a concept of producing. Um, in my mind, I was always an actor and a singer and an artist, and I never really contained uh, associated creating with producing. And so like my junior year, I got together with the film department and it was at the time, like Hills was huge. And I was like, my life with my friends is just as interesting. You know, I go to school, but I live in city and I take classes on the side. Like that's my life. And all of our lives are so interesting and diverse in New York. And, uh, so I had this, and this was when 2008, 2007, 2008, like Facebook was still fairly new. YouTube was like a year or two old. And I created like a seven minute pilot and put it on Facebook. And literally the next day it was on, remember that website Gawker? Mm -hmm. It was on like Gawker and they called me the biggest genius or the biggest tool, um, which I still don't know the answer. (laughs) Um, But, and then like page six was writing about and I got all these calls from production companies saying like, oh, wow, we love your ideas for content. You know, we want to bring this to our studio or whatever. And I was just like, you know, a sheep in the land of wolves while trying to like memorize my, you know, (laughs) monologue for the next day. And... uh, Wait, so this was like a follow doc of you and a couple friends? It was a follow doc of, yeah, me and six friends. The pilot's still out there and it's hilarious. And actually, one of the girls from, who was one of my closest friends at the time, uh, Ariana from Vanderpump Rules was in it with me, oh, wow. um, which is so funny looking back at that. Um, 
But that was kind yeah. of like the beginning and birth of, oh, I didn't even realize what I was doing was producing. Right. And, mm. you know, I was thought to be a producer. You had to go to school and learn the ins and the outs and, you know, how to actually work budgets. Right. And uh, basically, I ended up taking a job in development at this production company by uh, this guy named Michael Flutie, who was also an NYU grad and had a whole intern uh, team that was looking for new content. And I was like, listen, I'm a creator. I don't really know anything about the ins and outs of producing. And he was like, don't worry, I'll take you on my wing and I'll teach you everything that I know. And I was like, okay, but I still want to act and sing and like do all that. Mm-hmm. And he was like, as long as you get your work done, you can, you know, you can do whatever you want. And I was like, that's a dream. And truly, for the past 10 years, I have been with him uh, and growing through the ranks, and we've partnered with different production companies doing co-productions and uh, have learned everything from casting to editing to filming. You know, I've gotten to actually fly to different cities and hold a camera. Those things are heavy. Mm -hmm. And, like, shoot (laughs) pilots. And, you know, Michael would let me go... Uh, in the middle of uh, of work and take free classes at the Apple in uh, what do you, where was it in uh, health not health kitchen the meatpacking district mm-hmm. and like take editing classes so that I was basically a full rounded self you know uh, self editor producer all that kind of stuff the all production production company all in one all right. in one exactly yeah, right and wearing many hats yes so many hats so many little tiny hats <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, you know, it was something that I never really saw for myself as a career. In the back of my head, I was always like, okay, but like what really makes me happy, what really like sparks joy uh, is performing. Um, but, and so throughout the years, you know, I'd, I'd spent time developing, packaging, editing, and selling these, these concepts and getting, building relationships with networks. Um, but I was always kind of looking for the right project to kind of lean it down on myself and put myself in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, and I know this is a much longer story than I said. <laughs> no, we don't know. I'm like, we want to hear your story. Okay. So go through um, it. So a couple years ago then, I actually another NYU alum, Alice Lee. Remember Alice Lee? Yeah. Um, cute, beautiful, talented Korean girl. Um she she was in Spring Awakening and did all this stuff. We were in the Enharmonics together. Um, and she's just, like, killing it out here. And, like, four years ago, we were getting dinner, and she was like, I was like, I really miss singing. I miss performing. And she was like, you know, there's this production company out here that puts on live events. Um, you should uh, you should go out for that. And I was like, all right. And so I went out for it, ended up getting that. Uh, and then the venue ended up not getting renewed with their contract and say, they said, so you booked the role, but we're going on a ship for seven months. Do you want the job? Mm. And I'm like, literally the snooty me was like, I did not just spend four years at NYU Tisch School of the Arts to go on a ship. Like right. totally thought I was better than that. Right. Um, Cause I felt like at, at the time, I also think it's changed so much since then, but I think the connotation was like, if you graduated and went to work on a ship, you kind of were like the bottom of the boat. <laughs> yeah, that's the where steerage. like regional right. performing arts schools right. graduates would go on a Disney cruise. Exactly. And that would be like making it, but for an NYU person, it was kind of like, oh no, like, we should be aiming higher. Exactly. Right. But my boss was like, Sean, take it. Something amazing is going to happen from it. I ended up making, being best friends with these seven people uh, for seven months. And it was the best experience of my life that I will never do again because it was way too long. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) it was there that I really had so much time. I was fully doing everything I wanted. I was reading nonstop and meditating and I was really like my best self. And I came up with this concept of this show. I was like, I have this talent in front of me. I have the resources of like seven, eight years at that time of development and working in, in production. I was like, why don't I combine the two forces and create a show where we can sing and act and dance and, you know, have it be the Vanderpump rules of, uh, of, of music where people can come and visit, you know, these people singing and dancing and then, you know, be involved in the drama of them, who they're fucking or not fucking or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Right. And so when I got back, I pitched that to my boss. He loved it. And uh, we partnered with another production company. And next thing I know, they were super excited by it. They've invested a lot of money in a pilot. 
And uh, we then, next thing we knew, we had a bidding war between Amazon and Netflix. Hey. Netflix. The dream. Yeah. Right. Literally, it was like fighting over the two hottest guys in, like, college. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know who I want to date. Life is so hard. Uh Um, But at this point, it was so interesting, too, because, you know, one thing that I've also learned is when you create a project, it can only happen when it starts from you. But once that does happen, you do need to bring in other people to kind of further it along. And as that happens, more people get on the island and the island gets smaller. Yeah. And so, like, my role and my, like, equity in the project became a lot less. And I kind of had to take a backseat, which was a really interesting process. Um, but the most important thing was getting the show executed and being a cast member. And so, for three years, that was my life. I ate, breathed, slept, sang this project like west side this, west, is, west this side. is west side we Available are talking on netflix yes yeah, streaming somewhere yeah. if you can find it <laughs> no shade mm-hmm. wait on netflix it's on netflix but you can't find it you literally have to type in the full it's thing. funny oh, i was actually shit. in the in the um what is it it's a vibe music video shut up yeah but we watched it do we see you like yeah. did you make it's oh, the first episode in it? yeah it's in oh, the first hey. episode i forgot so funny that's amazing though it seems like you started planting ivy on every side of the house and then just got watched it kind of all connect and, and the house was suddenly filled with a beautiful vision covered in ivy except you know what ivy is also not that good for houses because rodents tend to like to live in the ivy <laughs> and so a lot of times when i was looking at houses i love this house with ivy and the real estate agent said oh you want to tear that all covered with rats <laughs> covered with rats filled with rats. i don't know if that's an analogy for anything but well, there, were there any rats? Were there people who tried to, like, edge you out of this production? I mean, were there No, not with... like that. I mean, you know, overall, it was it was such an incredible experience. And at the end of the day, I'm super, super proud that I had something that started in my mind and ended up on a platform that, you know, knock on wood, will never get taken off the shelf and will live, you know, longer from when I'm long gone. The know? marketing was everywhere. Everywhere. That was that was the craziest part. I, mean, I, I can't picture you in my mind without seeing you in, in blue. <laughs> that yeah, that blue picture is very I think it's like all of my social media profiles uh-huh. right now. <laughs> but you know the thing that I've learned today that is I got so it became so much of my life and so much of my identity that when you know I we went we all flew out to Times Square minus one cast member. Um, because, uh, there were like eight of us that were like best friends and one, I don't know if you've seen the show, but one that was kind of out for itself. Yeah. Um, (laughs) but so we flew to New York and it was such a fascinating experience because I had always, I would go drive, my mom would drive me into New York all the time and, uh, for auditions as a little kid. And I would always, you know, there would, they would always be in either Chelsea or Midtown somewhere. And we'd drive through Times Square and see all these billboards everywhere. And I would always say, like, one day I'm going to be up there. And my mom was like, that's nice, honey. You keep dreaming. <laughs> in the most supportive way. But also, like, they're going to be on a billboard in Times Square. And so the day that it actually happened, like, we were, there were two or three different billboards in Times Square of all this stuff going on. And we're screaming and, like, our hearts are so full and we're just, like, ecstatic. And everyone around us. It's just walking by like nothing's even going on. And you realize outside of our three billboards are like a hundred other ones. <laughs> and I stopped and thought like, oh my God, there is so much competition and content out here. Like how do we even really stand out? And I think that's that's kind of where we landed. Like uh, I think as of two days ago, like the, the cast has been released from Westside as mm. far as like renewing. Mm-hmm. They may decide to renew with a different cast. I don't know. Um, but it's kind of like, Unless it sticks and is immediately like a wildfire, it's so hard to, you know, capture people's attention, you know? Even after, like, on Spotify with New Music Friday, mm-hmm. like, you get on New Music Friday, that's incredible. <laughs> but, like, there's going to be New Music Friday next Friday, too. So what happens on that Friday? Mm-hmm. You know? Like, how do you remain relevant? Right. And that's where it comes into all of the marketing and, like, trying to make people listen or make people watch. And yeah, it's just a, a spiral. It, it <laughs> is. It, it, and it's I think, like, the biggest lesson for me was don't get too attached to your projects as far as an identity, but versus, like, you have responsibility to create things, put it out there, and then let the universe take it from there. Exactly. But you can't, like, take it personally. You can't blame anyone else. You mm-hmm. just got to kind of you know, keep creating. Yeah, they throw the whole kitchen sink at the wall and see yeah. what sticks. Yeah, and right. Yeah, don't be too attached to any one given project. I'm interested 
I'm interested in learning more about when the island got smaller. Uh, what was what was that experience when the more business-minded professionals came into the mix for you? Um, you know, luckily I had it was I had my boss Michael, who was like my mentor and father, second father figure, who you know has my back, had my back, will always have my back. Um, that you know we really developed it together, and then when we went. Uh, in a co-pro deal with this other company, Love Productions, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't necessarily a negative sense of people trying to kick each other out. It just became the more you added cooks into the kitchen, more ideas and the more ways of people thinking that their idea is the one and only way. It adds a lot more room for, you know, compromise and it, it doesn't just become your baby anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Having, you know, I've been a talent producer on unscripted shows before and um, and had years of experience in development, but I had never had a executive producer credit before. And so, you know, I wasn't going to get an executive producer role uh, for the show, regardless of me even creating it. Um, they said, you know, you, you could build your way up. So I'd start as a supervising producer with the uh, agreement that if it got renewed, I'd be a co-pro in season two and then EP in season three. So like, even with that, you know, the ego in me is thinking, but I created this. Why wouldn't you just give me the vanity EP? There are so many people like Snoop Dogg has EP credits and right. he doesn't do anything. Right. Uh, so that was a huge thing of just like, also, it, it comes down to ego. I think mm-hmm. when, you know, when there's something that's hot, everyone wants to kind of, and they believe in it. Everyone really wants to get behind it and kind of put their thumbprint on it. And which I think adds value um, to the project as far as different perceptions. But it can also be hard when, you know, if it's like raising a child and being like, oh, no, no, no my kid's going to be vegan. And then the new person's like, I totally hear you. But have you tried in and out You know, and then like having that argument, <laughs> like, no, because my kid's going to be vegan. <laughs> it's like it really is like raising a child. And then kind of when the show, I mean, the show, the show definitely scratched an itch of people that I think know what it's like to fight for something (laughs) and be in an ensemble. Um, I don't think it really had as far as marketing being put out there. Like it was an incredible job. I don't think it necessarily had its, the breath it needed for people to truly grasp what the show was because you know, when I still explain the show to people, I'm kind of like, it. it's like describing sushi to someone for the first time. It's like... <laughs> well, let's do that. Let's describe it yeah. for the listeners, right? Yeah, so th- the show is really a first ever blend of documentary and like big fantastical music videos. So we, there's, a, it's a show within a show. And so the show really follows, the A-line is myself... Or like all my friends call me like the Lauren Conrad of the, of West of West Side. <laughs> yeah, right. Is I'm putting together an original live show and I'm taking this ensemble and we're working together. So I'm or I'm kind of like a little Mr. Schuster, I guess as mm-hmm. as, totally. as well. Um, and and so we shot for four straight months of this arc of figuring out what the live show was, dealing without with everyone else's comforts, ideas, thoughts insecurities, egos, passions, voices in order to put on and this uh, backers audition and then get the funding to put on this live show. Right. And, and so that's the A story. But the so in the performers they're all singers, not necessarily songwriters, but you're all being pushed to create original compositions. Yeah. All right? of this these people I remembered. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. and all of the cast uh, they were all people that were from six degrees of separation. Um, you know, we had two of them were from the ship. Um, and then the other ones were like, I saw Pia, uh, performing in another show, which my friend James was in as well. And I saw her perform and I was like, Oh my God, who is that girl? I need to have her in my show. And then it kind of just like spread like that, which, uh, which I feel like is how everything happens these days of like, you can apply all you want to stuff, but it really takes like someone to either vouch for you or to see you and to kind of, yeah. Like, Especially here in LA. It's yeah. like, it's 0.01 degree of separation. Like yeah. everyone knows each other through passing or like by proxy. But, so it's always just that referral that gets you in the door. Yeah. It's the, it's referral and like kind of putting your stamp on saying like, you know, I, I believe in this person. Um, 
but yeah, so the 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 structure is we we shot the the documentary aspect of it for four months straight, from beginning of rehearsal to the very last um, you know showcase, and then we looked at all of that footage, broke it down as if that was just going to be a story in itself, and then we teamed with some of the top like songwriters and Grammy winning producers in the world. We identified key moments within each episode of where there's an opportunity for an original song to Mm -hmm. kind of be created. And then we would go and write those songs about the scene that just happened and then shoot a huge music video based upon that. So then in the actual edit, you're going from your scene, like I'll give an example uh, in episode two, we've already had one rehearsal and there's so much drama that I'm like pulling my hair out and I can't believe this is happening. And I'm confining my friend Caitlin and I'm like, this is my last shot. If I don't get this, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. All I've ever wanted to be, you know, was more. And then it seamlessly cuts into a music video, which the song is called All I Want to Be. And so, you know, you don't actually, what I thought was so fascinating was what happened behind the scenes was me actually, you know, working with these people and these writers and these producers about talking about what you want the song to be, about taking real life and, you know, creating art out of it, which was the whole concept really of the idea of like, life imitates art, art imitates life. It's all this cyclical thing. And, you know, songwriters and and singers pull from real life experiences all the time. So why can't you make entertainment out of that? Yeah, it worked really well, I think. I loved seeing the storylines play out and then the music video kind of tie into what that whole storyline was, especially with, I don't, I can't recall his name right now, but I know you guys were on the cruise ship together. James. James. Yeah, like his storyline was so deep. Like there was a point he was talking about his dad and I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm in tears without expecting to be. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, well, thank you. I appreciate that too. I, I think that, you know, I, I really think that it, it's an acquired taste. I think, you know, some, some of my closest friends were like, listen, I loved it, but like, I also would have loved it without the music videos. Some people were Mm -hmm. like, I can't imagine it without the music videos. So, Mm -hmm. but for me, the whole show and its identity was creating something out of real life and streaming it together. So that was, so for the people that, you know, it didn't work with, you can just fast forward through that music. (laughs) The thing is, I like seeing the music videos because it kind of gave you a deeper connection to the person's artistry as well. So like what type of songs they would sing, because it's like, you don't know what's actually being put down on the page. So when you see the music video, it's like, Oh, it's all come together and it makes a little more sense. Yeah. So I don't, I feel like it would have been weird without I liked how authentic, how true to the vision it was and how it wasn't trying to be something that already exists. Exactly. Like carving out a new path. Well, and that's what I, you know, I, I love that Netflix saw that vision too of like, they're always trying to push the envelope and, and they're all about big swings. So I think for them, I'm definitely eternally grateful that, you know, they were willing to take this, this risk as well, because it, it hasn't been something that has been done before. You know, I, I think we're definitely in a, in a, an era right now where musical movies and live entertainment is, is really hot you know, everything from, you got Rocket Man coming mm-hmm. out and um, live entertainment is, is just kind of everywhere. Vegas is blowing up with stuff. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's, it's, it's kind of finding those, those projects that, that are continually like pushing the el- envelope, but it, it's, it's, it's high risk, high reward, you know, and sometimes, sometimes you get rewarded and sometimes, you know, you find the reward just in accomplishing it. Mm-hmm. Did it take you a beat to get used to living an authentic, emotional life with the cameras around? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think the first day was kind of like when when we were actually in a in a rehearsal studio. The cameras are there, and we're supposed to just like live our most truthful lives, knowing that in the back of our mind, everything that happens could be used in 190 countries, that's going to be shown in 190 countries, you know? Mm-hmm. So there was always, in the beginning, there was that battle of, oh my God, don't say anything stupid. Don't do anything stupid. <laughs> you know, like you could, you could, am I, am I the villain? Am I, am I going to be a bad guy? Am I going to be a good guy? Right. And ultimately, you know, it came down to number one, trusting yourself that you knew who you were, but also we trusted Netflix so much. We trusted the production company so much uh, we and we trusted our director, who is one of my closest friends now. His name is James Carroll. He literally became like everyone's brother, and it became the kind of thing where 
it it was just another person in the room who happened to have a camera on them. Like, even at my wedding, I was very against for a long time, like, having them filming my wedding because I didn't want my wedding to be about any cameras or filming or anything. And, for well, it was twofolded. But, number one, I then was like, oh, wait, I get to have a beautiful, you know, quote-unquote, normal, traditional wedding that's going to be showcased in 190 countries and give kids hope across the world. Right. Like, that, that there's support and love and friendship and all this. I was like, absolutely. But secondly, you know, I, when I, I literally invited our director to come to the wedding with a camera. And so he was a guest to my wedding and just had a camera as well that was capturing stuff. And so I think that mentality was really what helped us all show our flaws and show our vulnerabilities. And a lot of people ask me, like, was that really real? That scene looks so staged. Are you kidding me? Like, no one does blow behind a garbage, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, like all right, girl, girl <laughs> listen to me. Just because he was the only one on camera, he wasn't the only one doing blow at my wedding, okay? Like, I heard stories the next day of a lot of people in the bathroom, okay? He was just the one that happened to be a cast member, so. Right, and, like, it was something that was that was a part of his storyline from the very first episode yeah. where you knew that, like, he liked to party and, like, do his thing and was kind of a rebel. How did that work with the casting? It seemed like everyone kind of has their archetypes. You know, there's... It's such an... Being on behind the scenes as well, it, it it was so interesting to see that even the most critically acclaimed documentaries need to have structure, mm-hmm. you know? you When you have such a big budget, you have to know when and where there's going to be a camera, right. you know? And you, don't, you might not know what's going to happen, but you're going to know that at 10 a.m., you know, James was out on a bender the next night and you need to talk to him. And you, you, know, you don't know what's going to happen from, th- from there, but you at least know from A to B there's going to be some sort of dialogue or, you know, meet in the story. Um, I think as far as the casting one, you know, we, we really tried to have a fair representation of everyone that, that someone has come across in L.A., Mm-hmm. Um, some are friends, some feel like fish out of water, some feel like the oldest, some feel like the youngest. Um, what's interesting is that, you know, there was actually in the pilot, it was all my friends from the ship and, uh, I don't want to get myself in trouble here, but basically Netflix had said, listen, you know, we love all of them. They're extremely talented, but I think it's going to be too much inside baseball. You know, we, we were all doing a John Hughes tribute show and we were all white and, it's kind of hard to to have you know a a group of of friends who are just kind of playing inside baseball about talking about inside jokes and like working together versus um, opening up the the world to to someone who might uh, you know challenge the way you think or challenge you know your point of view or have a different style you know and I think that when we embrace that idea and kind of opened up our rolodex to who else we knew. I mean, Lexia, the girl from, uh, you know, the Midwest, we found her in an Uber. You know, mm-hmm. our, our, one of our executives was talking about the show to an Uber driver and, or no, just talking on the phone and the Uber driver said, are you still casting? And he was like, sorry, what? And he's like, are you still casting? Sorry, I overheard. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you know, we're looking for a girl, a country girl. And he's like, I have just the girl. Can I send her? Literally sent her the next day and, and wow. she, she got and brought she on. That's so interesting because when I was bringing up the smaller island idea and um, <clears throat> the moment where the business professionals got involved, I was expecting some horror stories. But what I'm hearing is actually, you know, culture is requiring the corporation to be more inclusive, uh, which then expands you as the artist and and almost like brings into question not not that it's a bad thing, but like your white privilege and is like and is like, you know, you know, that may be who you know, but we to make this project, we need to expand you, it, and everything to match what is appropriate, what is necessary for two thousand nineteen. Yeah, I think I think I think you're absolutely right. I think if I were to do something on my own platform and it was going to be, you know, as original, authentic as it had started, I think I would just probably have it on my YouTube channel for me and my friends and my own enjoyment. But when you have such a big platform like Netflix, there's such a responsibility to make sure that everyone feels included or represented in some way. And it doesn't become just about you and your idea anymore. You know, and I think I think that's one thing to take away, too, is that the moment that you have an idea, you can you can birth a child so much 
until you want to introduce it to the world that it's 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 not just yours anymore and and that it has to be a child that can you know assimilate with other kids mm-hmm. in this in this school. I know I keep talking about babies. Are you are you I might be, looking into that? Actually, <laughs> my husband and I are seriously like have baby fever and we're con- we're constantly talking about it now. So uh-huh. that's definitely on my mind. You're so like obviously. this is the analogy. This is the analogy <laughs> that I'm using until I have a baby. But no, I, I think you're definitely right. I think it was a gift to where it wasn't a mandate saying like you have to or we're not going to buy this. It's saying hey listen. We get it. We totally love these people and, and we see it. But just think about like, who else do you know? Who else are, you know, are your friends that could challenge and, and make this much more of a diverse, universal show than than just a certain specific world? You know? Yeah. And I think it did really well at that because there's so many different perspectives from each of you as an artist. It's like your perspective from coming from NYU and everything that you had done. And then the other two from like Vegas and the cruise ship and the young ones that are just trying to make it and have their own issues. And it was really interesting to see because being an artist and knowing what it's like to live in LA and just trying to make it, it was cool to see how, even though so many people live different lives, like they were all going through the same thing. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, one thing that, one thing that I, I think that we all forget is that, um, it is all relative, you know, I mean, and I mean that in the sense of, uh, of someone that, that is experiencing something, you know, a hundred miles away to someone that is here in LA. Um, it doesn't mean it's harder or easier. I think that you never really know what someone's going through. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the pain and the struggle and the insecurities and the hopes and the fears are all the same. Um, and I think putting together such a diverse group really made us see each other as, you know, we weren't competing to be the best singers. We were really competing to be the best versions of ourselves and right. kind of lift each other up. And through that, we really saw each other's flaws and be like, oh, my God, you know, I may personally come from a, a pretty you know privileged background and this someone else may have grown up from nothing. But we have the same hopes, the same dreams, the same fears, the same insecurities and they, you know, they may have a much better voice than me, you know, there's like a lot of different things that, that kind of put everyone on the same playing field. Yeah, I felt like um, that message kind of drove home very clearly with Pia's story, mm. just because like, she was the one who had came from American Idol, like, I remember, what was that, 2011, when she was on American Idol, and right after she was no longer on the show, all of these articles coming out, like, every label is trying to sign Pia Toscano. And me being like, oh, yeah, she's about to be that bitch. Like, mm-hmm. she's going to do it. And to see her talk about her story and just feeling like she's going to fail and having those same insecurities that we have before we've even made it yeah. was really just, like, deep. It was easy to connect to because, it's like, oh, no matter where you are, you can still be going through the same thing. Yeah. I, you know, I think that, and that was, that was definitely her, what she wanted to get out of this too, as a personal, you know, process and and project of each one of us. This was just like a long therapy experiment, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) where we all got so much out of it, but for even for Pia, you know, on the outside, and she talks about this openly on the outside, you know, it's, she's already a beautifully stellar girl has the most incredible voice and everything is, curated and perfect on Instagram. And then when you talk to her, you know, she's snorting, she's, she's gonna kill me, she's like farting, she's like goofy, whatever, and she's like, oh my god, you know, I'm so nervous, my, my voice isn't, isn't, isn't on point today, and I'm like, shut up! Like, right, you, like you're Pia. Right, you're, you're Pia Toscano, but it, I think that what is so cool is that regardless of, it takes down the walls, like you were saying, before even someone is on that pedestal, or maybe some are on that pedestal, mm. it, it's taking, cutting down those, like, legs of the stool, and just taking off the masks and being like, in the most greatest showman way, like, this is me, <laughs> you know? So are we ever going to get any of the footage, or is there any footage from when you guys actually got the residency? Uh, so there, there is, you know, it's been such a process. So the, where it ended with the end of season one was we got a commitment from, uh, from uh, Phil Lawrence, from One Oak, we still have that relationship with uh, with One Oak and Phil, and uh, you know I'm actually recording a new song with Phil next week. Um, 
the thing that is tricky, and I think that that has always been uh, a challenge in a good way, is that it's a blending of two worlds and mediums of theater and then TV um, that, and this is by nobody's fault either, is that a lot of the cast members, they were solo artists, you know, and Mm -hmm. we all got signed right before the show came out. We all got signed to Warner Brothers to be individual artists. Right. Um, And so everyone kind of, once we finished rapping, everyone started working with Warner Brothers on their singles. Um, And then as soon as like the show didn't necessarily perform as well as they had hoped, uh, all of that with Warner Brothers kind of dissipated. Mm -hmm. But, and so it was really kind of hard to, to continue the dream of the live show when everyone else, everyone else's dreams were really to go solo. Like Pia was right. all summer. Um, she's been traveling with Andrea Bocelli and um, David Foster and Lexi, you know, has moved to Nashville to pursue her music career. And so I think that naked is, is some, a project that I think belongs in something like the public theater or something that's a lot more intimate and, uh, and uh raw and i think for a while we were trying to really put like a round peg in a in a square hole um so that naked is is still in development and whether or not you know i i think that those roles will always be available to the cast members but after the season one wrapped everyone really was kind of focusing on you know what their next move was of how they were going to pay their rent and you know, do all these things for their solo careers because that's ideally what everyone was kind of hoping to get out of this. Right. Um, and so I think that they'll they'll always have a home if they want with the project. But uh, yeah, we're we're talking to a few different investment firms and and development uh, companies to kind of further it along. And and uh, I've always loved the idea of it just being a simple like musical vagina monologues. Mm-hmm. You know, of like what is your truth and taking it across the country to different colleges and having different people play like the different characters and singing a song, but telling their own story of their truth mm-hmm. and kind of having it be an interactive. I, I've always wanted to be like a modern day chorus line, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how your professional and creative pursuits have um, affected personal relationships, whether it's with your husband or family or friends that are outside of the projects that could be positive or negative. Yeah. Um, you know, I I got when when the show didn't become like an overnight success success like we all like had thought it was going to be, um, which who knows, like two years from now someone famous could discover it and be like, Oh my god, this is amazing and everyone watches it. But when that didn't happen, and because it was like my identity for the longest time, I, I really went into like the deepest, darkest depression excuse me, I've ever experienced that my husband can attest to. Like, I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to talk to anyone. And, you know, people continue to say, like, you have so much to be excited about. You have such an accomplishment, you know, and it's, you you got a show on Netflix. Um, And that was kind of like the, the turning point of actually believing that. Like, I've, I've never really been a good one at accepting compliments, you know, I've mm-hmm. always, or anything about myself. I've always been like, yeah, great, thanks. Hey, anyways, how about that rain? When is it going to stop raining? <laughs> I remember that about you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just like, I, it, I don't know. It, it, as much as some of my friends may scoff about this, I don't really like talking about myself. I like, I love working in an ensemble and getting things done. And so I felt a lot of responsibility for the other cast members, too, of, like, it not going the way that we went. Um, But my husband has been the most incredible, supportive person in the world. Um, And, you know, sometimes being like, all right, get your ass out of bed, go to the gym, get your shit together. Um, And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been one of those things of nothing but support, but I've realized that and I, it's funny because I've ended up quoting myself, which I hate, but I say it in the first episode of the show is anytime anything has ever happened for myself, has has ever happened, it's happened because I've done it myself. Um, I may have butchered my own line, but anytime but everything has happened, it's, it's, because I've, it's because I've done it for myself. Yeah. And, you know, once I got over, mourned like the way of something wah, wah, not going my way, I was like, this I was alive and creating before this and I'm alive creating after this and I will continue to create more stuff. And ever since I've come to really believe that and own that, it's been the most exciting awakening of like 
the world is my oyster, but having the knowledge of like treating it as a project that number one sparks me joy, but number two, I'm okay letting go of as well mm-hmm. uh, as like, I'm just basically a mom that's popping out babies and saying, be good, be good. <laughs> right. Please don't be a serial killer. Right, exactly. So shifting gears from like what was a pretty depressing period in your life, when do you think was the most satisfying point in your life and career? The most satisfying point of those three years. And it could, doesn't even need to be those three yeah. years. Well, I think the moments that I'll never forget are the day I came home and celebrated with my husband that we officially signed on with Netflix. Mm -hmm. That was something that I'll never forget. That's a big moment. Um, The moment of filming the last music video as an ensemble where we all just like cried and I get goosebumps thinking about Mm -hmm. that. Um, And the moment of us all seeing ourselves in Times Square Mm -hmm. because it was like we were the only ones in that city packed of like millions of people you know it, I mean no one else literally cared how much we screamed but it was kind of like we went through so much together and the fact that you know even if it was just a glimpse it was it was a glimpse of hope of like anything is possible as cheesy as that sounds like something that starts so small in your head can can end up on a billboard in Times Square right so cool and how was that shooting and doing things as an ensemble after you had already filmed that four months of the show. And I know one of the cast members had kind of like had been released during the show. So he, he was released from the live show, right? I mean, listen, he, a lot of, he gave our, our, the show a lot of drama Mm -hmm. and I thank him because I didn't have to have, I didn't have to deal with that or be that drama, you know, like he was the villain in real life, and thank God I didn't have to be right. a villain, you know? Um, not that I think it's possible, but uh, <laughs> it was the kind of thing that he was still part of the cast, but he wasn't part of us following the story of the live show anymore. So, I mean, who knows? They, they could do a season two and just follow him. I have no <laughs> idea. Um, that gives me so much anxiety. <laughs> um, he caused me a lot of therapy. Um, just because I'd never met anyone like that in my life. He was so judgmental of everyone else, but not putting in any work or <laughs> self-criticism to actually improve his own. Yeah, you know, and, and it's funny because I haven't really thought about or talked about him in, in so long. And, like, if I saw him on the street, I'd probably be like, hey, man, how are you? But yeah. it was like, and I'm sh- hopefully, you know, he's learned a lot from that, too. But during the time, I had never in my life experienced someone that was so narcissistic and toxic to the creative spirit and process. Right. Um, that I really didn't know how to deal with that. You yeah, know? it was interesting to watch just because you could see that and like see people having the same feelings that you're saying you had, like as the scenes would play out. So I think there was a scene you guys were all supposed to be writing a song together and he was like, I have the song and started to play the keys. But then... An episode later, everyone's like playing the songs they wrote and he doesn't have anything. So it was kind of weird. It's like very narcissistic and very much like I'm the one, but Yeah, and you know, I think that I think that hopefully he'll he's one of the youngest, and I that clearly stems from something within himself mm-hmm. of needing to validate himself, and with that I can empathize of you know wanting to feel enough. Um, but the whole point of regardless, I think he saw it as an opportunity to be on Netflix, and as did everyone, but we embraced it fully for what it was and truly became a family, you know, during that, that the entire process. And, um, I think all we wanted was really for him to let us in and, and share that with him. And, uh, I think he was a a one man soldier, but you know, turning the mirror back on you, have you, um, whether it's through Westside or prior as an artist or now, um, has there been a destructive habit that you've had to grapple with that you've been trying to break through? Something that I battled with that, you know, kind of behind the scenes and then after the show was really self-doubt. That voice inside yourself that says, you know, I'm not enough. I'm, I'm, you know, not good enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not smart enough. Um, And I think, I really think that 
social media can be great, but it really is the devil, mm. you know, especially when you're feeling, when, if you're feeling in that way that you're not good enough, you're not great enough, and you see someone else that you love and, you know, want to be happy for it, but can't help to compare yourself. Mm-hmm. It is such a hard thing not to compare yourself to the success of others that you've been, that you've watched in class or that you've, you know, you know of, or, or, you know, that, you know, that could be you if a, if a door went a different way. And I think turning the mirror on myself, I've really learned to embrace that side of me, know that it's a flaw, know that I'm continually working on it, um, but also trust my instincts and my gut and allow myself, if I'm feeling sad, I'm just going to like start writing and say why I'm feeling sad and like own that we have a responsibility as artists that I truly believe, whether you believe in God or whoever, the universe we have a calling to do something and it's our responsibility to do it. And if we don't, it's going to go to someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, that's like some big magic kind of Elizabeth Gilbert talk. Yeah. And uh, did I say her name? Elizabeth Gilbert. Is that her? She wrote, you pray love. I think it's Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh, we're going to have to, well, fact we'll fact check, check that we'll later, check but, but yeah, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't matter whether you've had 10 successes or no successes. Every single person has a voice and, and which is what's going to make them unique. Nobody wants to have, you know, a replica of, of anything else. And I would say to anyone, and I tell this self to myself, is it Elizabeth Gilbert? Is it Elizabeth Gilbert? Um, it's fantastic. I highly recommend that book to anyone. It's called Big Magic. Um, is that uh, just don't fucking doubt yourself. And if you d- doubt yourself, look at yourself, laugh, call yourself a dummy for a second, and get back at it because truly, and I mean this in the most real and not depressing way, is nobody gives a shit about you until you have something. Literal. Like, you know? The truest words. And, and, it's, and it's not, and I used to resent that. I used to resent agents. I used to resent, you know, record labels, especially through this whole experience. And it's kind of like, it's a business. That's part of the term show business. Mm-hmm. And... And uh, my responsibility is to create, and then the jobs of other people are to kind of feed off of that and sell it and execute it. And so instead of resenting it, kind of, I've looked at it in a way of like, okay, what can I do the best job possible of to get to a certain point where it's not my responsibility anymore? Right. You know, but the, I've realized, and I've always been the kind of person of like karma, where if someone you know, wants to pick my brain or needs help or an idea or something like I always want to give my time because I know what it's like to be on the other side and want someone's time. But the end of the day is that people are really fucking busy. They have their own shit. They've got their mortgage. They've got their rent. They've got the kids. Their nanny just got fired. You know, someone has a mole. They got to check, get checked under their foot. Right. They're stressed and they're not thinking about you. Right. You know, and we can't take it personally. And we can't take it personally. And that no. inner voice, that inner critic in our head is the one that takes it the most personal and then feeds it back to you. And you have to turn it off in order for you to be able to produce your best work. Yeah. Or sometimes it comes out of just feeding into what it's saying to you. But it's just like a double-edged sword. Like, yeah. Don't listen to it too much, but also take note. But at the same time, I think having a tribe, having a strong tribe of people, which most of the time are the people that you went to school with or that you've worked with on a project before that really are going to be, you know, your, your right and left hand men and women who are going to be the, they're the same people that, you know, they'll listen to you. If you got in a fight with your husband, you know, I'm not projecting, (laughs) you know, on a Friday night, or they'll listen to you to help you with notes on your resume or, you know, make that introduction to someone else. But and those are the people that it really matters is having those people, whether or not they can or can't help you is having those people that believe in you. Right. Because that's, what's going to keep you going of, even if it's someone who works, you know, at a bowling alley and knows nothing about the entertainment industry, you know, uh, uh, an, uh, an ear and like sharing a pint or something like that. And that friendship is the same validation, you know, that's going to kind of keep you going. I right. Found. Right. Is there something that you do every day that, grounds you that focuses you um i think the one thing that always i get most of my groundling <laughs> no that's an improv company <laughs> i get my groundlings i get my groundlings, groundlings from 
Uh, one thing that I do every single day is that I, I go to the gym. When I exercise, I struggle so much from anxiety and the, all of those fun mental health things, um, which I think is something that also needs to be talked about much more in the world, but also, the, yeah. you know, the creative industry. Um, but so like running or going to the gym, number one, clears my mind so much, but it also opens a channel to so many ideas because it's like the things you think about when you're like running range from like, Oh, I forgot to call grandma to like, Oh my God, that's an amazing idea. And you know, it's just kind of like letting your mind run run on loop, but like in a non judgmental way. Right. Um, so that's always been kind of like a staple for me. I've really been into kind of, uh, listening to a lot of meditation and like manifesting, certain things and just really focusing on not necessarily like saying magic, not that manifestation is that, but like the law of attraction of Mm -hmm. really just being clear about what you want and not necessarily saying that like a palm tree is going to hear it and send it to another palm tree and send it to an agent, but really just being (laughs) so clear. That is exactly how Los Angeles (laughs) works, by the way. Oh yeah, no, there's, that's absolutely how Palm tree, palm tree agent. (laughs) Right. Come out, kid. Fly out, fly out now, but kids. That's book why your, there's book so your many palm trees outside of CAA. <laughs> right. um, no, is uh, is really being clear, meditating on what you want, being clear about that, and setting goals. Yeah. Know? Instead of like, otherwise, I'm so all over the place that I feel like every day is a tornado, and I need to like hold on to anything for like stability. Mm-hmm. But as soon as like I write down something, I'm like, oh, okay. My mini goals for today is like just accomplish these three things, and it just like it takes away the anxiety of not doing enough. Right. So So what do you want to happen next? What are you manifesting? Um, I've been in the unscripted world for 12 years now. Yeah. And I've been really scared of my own writing voice. Mm. And I really want to lean into that. And so I'm kind of tapping into the scripted world. And so I'm working on a comedy and a feature. Awesome. Um, That's amazing. Which is... So scary because it's like working on it by yourself, right? By now? myself right now, yeah. And it's it's out of it's number one because I don't like to show anyone anything until like it's I hear that. absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. But also like it's not like necessarily sure it's the same world, but you know, the same producers aren't usually the same people that you are pitching, you know, to at the Netflixes and the Quibbies and the Amazons, you know, for unscripted. And so it's a whole new world, but um I've realized and I keep you know, telling myself that I have a voice and I, you know, want to share it. And my responsibility is I've had these, these two ideas that have come to me and I want to at least see it to execution and put it out there. And then that's all my duty is. Mm-hmm. Awesome. We can't wait. Yeah. yeah Fingers yeah, crossed. Yeah. Yes. Did I yeah. talk too much? I'm sorry. No, no you answered all 35 of my questions. Okay. That I, had I really like your questions. Even, I didn't even need to ask more than like three. Plus, we need to add a disclaimer at the beginning that says um, anybody that is drinking right now, you can do a drinking game every time that Sean mentions having a baby. Yes. Take a shot. Yes. <laughs> you will be crunked. And by if the you're end. not drinking, <laughs> you could take a shot of water. That's yes. Right. Yeah. Because we love to stay hydrated. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you, Sean. Thank you, guys. This, this is such a nice way to start our LA trip. Yeah. No, you guys, this, I mean, this has kind of inspired me too of like, you know, you can. A lot of these thoughts are inside of you, but like talking about it and, you know, creating a community and a tribe of like just knowing what's on other people's minds and, you know, where what their journey has been is, I think, really therapeutic as well. Yeah. So I think it's really incredible what you guys are doing. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We're just getting by around here. That's right. (laughs)